I'm Brooke Gurley, and you are listening to Untold Stories, the cases that shaped the civil rights movement, presented by Long Crime. This podcast is the audio adaptation of my video series titled The Untold Stories of the Civil Rights Movement. And now, on to this week's episode. What's up, everyone? It's me, Brooke. Welcome back to the Untold Series for part, I don't know if this is like 9 or 8B, because it's like a continuation. We'll figure it out. I'll figure it out later. But welcome back. I'm so glad you're here on my YouTube page, Facebook page, Instagram, wherever you have found me. I'm so glad you're here so we can continue to talk about um, these civil rights cases. So let's get back to the Scottsboro Boys, shall we? Yes, wonderful. As a little recap, last week we were looking at the start of the Scottsboro Boys case where nine black boys, black men, ages 13 through 19, they were falsely accused of raping two white women. Um, Ruby Bates and Victoria Victoria Price. In the first case, it went all the way up to the United States Supreme Court in Powell versus Alabama. The Supreme Court overturned their conviction and said they did not have adequate counsel. It was a violation of their constitutional rights. So then the case was sent back down and here we are and that's where we start with this week. A little background about what was going on in this case, the case that we're eventually gonna talk about which is Norris versus Alabama. All right. So the case went up to the United States Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's like, nah, nah, that's not right. You didn't do right by them. Do this again. They retry them. But before they retry them, this has become a movement. And I believe I said this in the previous um, episode. This is a movement. And you had competing organizations trying to represent these young black boys. And you had the International Labor Defense, which was the Communist Party. And they won out and they got the um, black boys, one of the most prominent defense attorneys in the country, Samuel Leibowitz. He was one of the best criminal defense attorneys in the country at that time. Like, I don't know, I wanna say he had 78 trials and he won 77 of them and the 78th was a mistrial. So that, I mean, as a criminal defense attorney, that's a win. So one of the first trials that they retry is with Hayward Patterson and, um, this trial was quite sensational. The judge over it was Judge Horton, um, a man of the South. Kind of gave you the feeling of being like an Abraham Lincoln. So the trial starts, and the main witness is uh, Victoria Price, because at this point, Ruby Bates has gone MIA. Like, she's just not on the, I don't know if she's on the witness list, but she's not there, she's not testifying. Um, but Victoria, I mean, she was not an educated woman or sophisticated woman, but she was giving Leibowitz a run for his money because she was just very combative. Um, she told her story, but Leibowitz was just pointing out that basically she was coming up with a lot of her material from the Sunday's um, paper, some of the stories that were told there, just making stuff up. Leibowitz also found doctors that said that the sperm that was inside of them was dead, which couldn't have been the case if they had been raped by nine men. Uh, just hours before and then he also found a witness that was like yo me and my homeboy this is this is Brooke talking me and my homeboy were sleeping with her and her homegirl Ruby like a few nights before like out laid out on the tracks having kind of a situation there which actually was consistent with the evidence the physical evidence the case is getting ready to close and Leibowitz is like yes yes um, I'm done oh wait but I have one more witness who is this witness? Well, in walks Ruby, who had been MIA until now. She comes in, 
looking like she came from the north because she did because apparently she was hiding out in new york and completely recanted her story she was there as a witness for the defense saying she lied unfortunately she fell apart on cross-examination and she was completely dismissed by the jury as a matter of fact one juror and by the way this jury was all white one juror said i never even considered her testimony well, as you can imagine, uh, this trial did not go well for the defendant because again, <laughs> there's another Supreme Court case. And in this case, Hayward Patterson was convicted very quickly by an all white, all male jury. So Leibowitz files a motion to set aside the verdict. And that's it's just what it sounds like. It's a motion saying, I know what the jury said, but for these reasons, I think the jury misunderstood the evidence or failed to consider the evidence and therefore court, please set this verdict aside and do what's right. So that's what Leibowitz does. And Judge Horton, you know, this man of the South, who's a son of the South, who we, you would expect to be like, no, 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 like the jurors and just completely do what is a social norm. He actually seemed to be a man of integrity. And remarkably, he granted the motion and it ultimately cost him his judgeship because he lost, I think, the next election or he, if he eventually lost his position. But he granted the motion and there was a third trial that happened and it was at this trial again you had an all-white jury all-male jury and um you had <laughs> a judge that was very favorable for the prosecution i mean just really shut Leibowitz down wouldn't let him speak was almost making objections for the state it was just it was completely a crap show and again um the defendant one of which being norris he was convicted and so He's convicted and again, they appeal all the way to the Supreme Court. And those are the facts. So what's the issue? Well here, the main issue that they brought before the court was whether or not the exclusion of black people was a violation of Norris's constitutional right. Um, now you'll recall from Strader that the Supreme Court said that is unconstitutional for a state to exclude black people from juries just because they're black. Well, what was going on here in, in Norris versus Alabama, the rule on the books was that anyone could be a juror. They were not excluding people strictly based on their race, but effectively what was going on is that there weren't any black people on the jury by the way that they set up their system. The holding. The court agreed and said, yes, even though they have these rules on the books that say black people can um, be admitted to jury service, um, the way that it is done in the state of Alabama and these counties in particular was a violation of the constitution. So let's get into the reason. So what you see happen in um, the facts when they started investigating the, the, um, the jury pool, I forgot the percentage of people, but you had so many black people who could qualify for jury duty and none of them had ever served on the jury. They brought witnesses that testified to saying, I've never seen black people on the jury. You had a jury roll book that they brought to the people and you had like pages of names of people who were on the jury or who could be, who could serve on the jury. And they're all white males. And then at the very end, and they're in alphabetical order. And then at the very end, there's like six names of black people all out of order. Looks like they just wrote that in for the sake of this appeal. And you saw that in like both counties and the Supreme Court was essentially like, look, I see what's going on. You guys have a system that says you're not ex excluding people, but effectively you're excluding people. To allow this to be permitted and say oh, that's satisfying the constitutional burden is to essentially render that pointless. I think I'll just read strictly the language that the court uses here. If in the presence of such testimony as defendant adduced, 
which is again the testimony that no jurors ever black jurors ever served and their names really essentially weren't ever on the roll um, the mere general assertions by officials of their performance of duty were to be accepted as an adequate justification for the complete exclusion of Negroes from the jury service from jury service. The constitutional provision adopted with special reference to their protection would be but a vain and illusory requirement. So essentially what the court is saying is if we just take these officials who've been over the jury selection process and say, well, they're doing the process, therefore that meets the standard, then that would make this whole constitutional right a vain process. It's meaningless, essentially, if we just let them get away with this, because it's how do you have a process that excludes all the black people and say that it's meeting the constitutional standard? It can't. There should be at least some black people on the jury at this point. But then the court continues and it quotes one of the people who were actually the officers over the jury selection process. And it reads, the general attitude of the jury commissioner is shown by the following extract from his testimony. And this is what the officer said. I do not know of any Negro in Morgan County over 21 and under 65 who is generally reputed to be honest and intelligent and who is esteemed in the community for his integrity, good character and sound judgment, who is not a habitual drunkard, who isn't afflicted with a permanent disease or physical weakness, which would render him unfit to discharge the duties of a juror, and who can read English and who has never been convicted of a crime involving moral turpitude. So essentially what this commissioner is saying is, look, we have a standard and black people just can't meet it. I can't, it's not my fault that black people are drunkard and have disease and can't read and aren't known to be have men of integrity in their community. That's just it. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. And the court is saying, look, this evidence is almost like prima facie that they're just, there's discrimination going on. And we can't let the fact that he's saying I, I haven't found any black people be sufficient in order to protect the constitutional rights of Mr. Norris. Court says, no, 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 we're not gonna act like this isn't a thing. And they, again, reverse the conviction of the nine black boys and the case is sent back to Alabama. And at this point, just to tell you how this case resolves a little bit, Alabama apparently is nearly bankrupt trying to prosecute these cases for because this case was in 1935, so you have like four years of major litigation going on here. Um, they let out the four boys, because two of them were 13, one was blind, and another one had syphilis, so he just really could not have done this rape. They agreed to let those other boys go, and um, they prosecute the other ones who were convicted, but in the whole process, um, eventually they all are released. I think one escaped, and that's how they, he was freed. So why is this case important? It's important because again, it speaks to the long history of states intentionally trying to exclude black people from the jury because the black perspective is very critical and it's very important. How are you gonna have a jury of your peers if no one on this jury looks like you and has experiences like you? And you have to wonder why is the state trying to keep people who can understand your plight or who bring a particular perspective. Why are they trying to exclude them from the jury if justice is ultimately the goal? You want a diversity of perspectives so that you have a diversity of people looking at the evidence and saying, okay, well maybe consider this, this, so that justice is done. But they're not trying to do that. They're excluding people from the jury 
And this isn't the only time, this isn't the second time that this happens. This happens again, I said, with the Flowers case that went up to the Supreme Court up, I think, last year, yeah, in 2019. You still have these prosecutors trying to exclude black people. And I can speak anecdotally as a uh, civil rights attorney. Whenever we had a trial, the other side was always trying to kick off the black people. And it's because they don't want our perspective on there. They're trying to deny the constitutional right um, for people to have a jury of their peers, people who understand their perspective. And it just undermines justice. And again, black people, if you are called to jury duty, do not shirk this duty. It's very important. Again, I think it's even more important, or it's definitely as important as the voting box because you decide the fate of people, whether or not they are free, whether or not some are sentenced to death. And they're trying to keep you off of that. And you have to be cognizant of that and say, even though I may think I have other things that are better to do, the reality is you don't, <laughs> you don't. And if you gonna complain about what happened with George Zimmerman, but you don't wanna serve on the jury, I know I said this before, then just shut up. Because you're not doing what you're supposed to do and you're doing the job that the state would love to do, which is to keep you off the jury. So be on the jury, it's very important. Um, I can't stress it enough. If you would like to know more about this case, the Scottsboro case, because it's just so fascinating, um, I have resources for you. It's the same ones from last week, but I, you know, last week I, I think I held it down a little too low, so I'm gonna do it again for you. All right, we know, we already know which book I'm saying, Black Trials. Get the book, it's great. And put it in my face, make sure you guys see it. Get this book, you'll love it, live it, learn it, read all about it. But if you are not someone who's a reader and just need something visual and audible, um, this documentary, Scottsboro Boys, An American Tragedy, is also great, this documentary. You can find it on YouTube. Again, don't judge me for the DVD. I got this like 11 years ago when DVDs were all the rave. If you like this video, please be sure to hit the like button, or heart, or whatever it is on what platform you are on. Um, please be sure to subscribe to my Facebook page, my YouTube page, um, my Instagram page. I'm on Twitter and I'm on TikTok, but that's kind of fun stuff. I also have a blog, palookiesworld.com. Please be sure to subscribe there and you'll never miss one of my videos when they come out or an article that I may post. Next week, I'm trying to figure out if I want to stay chronologically. I have something else I'm thinking about doing, just kind of uncertain in there. I don't know, we'll see. Come back next week to find out. Until then, you all have a wonderful and safe week. I will see you next time. Take care, God bless. To watch the video series that inspired this podcast, head over to my blog, palookiesworld.com, and make sure you subscribe. For more information on the series, like how do you spell Paluki, please check out the show notes. Finally, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss an episode.